Hawks bus. I think the task of eldering falls to the whole generation because if we stay impassioned and engaged and involved and spend our money wisely mm. and and potently, we're a force to be reckoned with. Yeah. You know, you can't ignore people who live out loud. Welcome, everybody, to the podcast, Relationships. Let's talk about it. I'm Prebo Toplitsky. I'm a psychotherapist specializing in relationship issues. Everybody's got one. Partners, family, friends, co-workers, neighbors, relationships. Let's talk about it. Welcome, everybody, to this episode of A Conversation Between Two Young Elders. I have a conversation with my good buddy, Greg Lavoie. Those of you that haven't listened to past podcasts with my friend Greg, let me tell you a little bit about him. He is a author of Vital Signs, The Nature and Nurture of Passion, and also the book Callings, Finding and Following on an Authentic Life which is rated among the top 20 career publications by the Workforce Information Group. He is also a former behavioral specialist at USA Today and a regular blogger for Psychology Today. He is also a lecturer and seminar leader in the business, educational, governmental, and faith-based, as well as human potential arenas. So in our conversation, it's been coming up for us of late of being on the cusp of eldering. And we don't advocate that we're experts at this or that we're full-blown elders. We don't know exactly what it looks like, but we wanted to explore it in this conversation because both of us are teachers and presenters and we are getting to that age of the cusp of eldering. Greg is 64, I am 56. And in our discussions, we talk about stepping into consciously and intentionally being an elder and what does that look like, as well as the difference between elders and getting elderly. We also discuss mentoring and role models and those experiences that we've had. And also we have a discussion of what we think young people want from elders and the tremendous need for it in our world today. And again, those of you that are in your younger years, this might be a good conversation to think about the path and consciously go into these phases of what it is that you want to embrace as you become an elder. So I hope you enjoy this exploration and conversation about elder. Thanks for listening. All right, so we're going to piggyback off of some discussions that we've been having around where we are in our stage of life and what's coming up for us a little bit in our conversations was around eldering. Yeah. And that's kind of new for both of us. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're newbie elders. Yeah. Well, what does elder mean to you when you think about elder? Well, the word wisdom comes into my mind right off the bat and generativity I think that's an idea I picked up from Carl Jung. What is generativity? Uh, Well, I guess helping the generations coming up behind you. And he said that if 
you are not starting to practice sort of the, the arts of eldering, helping generations coming up behind you by a certain age, which I think is roughly you know, like late 50s and up, you're missing the primary developmental point of getting older. I mean, he actually said mm. that. Mm. You're missing the fucking point. Yes, pretty much. <laughs> you're missing the boat. Yeah. Um, so we're at the cusp of this, you and I. Yeah. I mean, I think it's important to acknowledge that we're not experts in no this. <laughs> no. Uh, this is it, one of our first conversations. Yeah, really exactly. But I think this will could speak to a lot of people who are at this age where there's even having the conversation admits that we're of a certain age, <laughs> that we're old enough to have a conversation about being an elder. Uh, and that's a hard swallow. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe this is. is why a lot of people don't want to have these these conversations. It's you have to admit that you're of a certain age. And especially because when I grew up, I was thinking elders as like the old wise man, old wise man, you know, beard can barely move off of the chair, but he's wise. That's uh -huh. what I was thinking. So and, now and to did think you of, have anybody in your life like that? You know, up? not really. I had some uncles that when I was a teenager, I looked up to them in a mentoring sort of way, but it didn't last that long because as I got older, they were kind of hypocritical in the way that yeah. they lived their lives. So. so you passed them in the wisdom department or something? And then, yeah, exactly. Yeah. In some sense, absolutely. And hmm, yeah, I mean, like even mentors, I really never had a mentor. One, a little bit that, you know, Bill... Uh, that I had on the show, Morian from from my Jable days, right. in some way, um, but it was still more you know friendship than just just mentoring. But I definitely looked up to him the way he did, his human humanistic way of, right. of doing business. But I've, I've had a few tour mentors. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even have good baseball coaches, like mm. good coaches that I felt were mentoring. So no, I I never had the experience. right. And so here we are. Maybe we can even say this is a generational issue. Mm -hmm. For our, you know, the baby boomer generation is that we're we're in a position of redefining not just for ourselves but for the generations coming up behind us what eldering looks like, what growing older, yeah, and I stress growing older rather than just getting older, mm -hmm. what that looks like. So this conversation could be part of that. So I would love to start off with this video that I saw on Huffington Post because I think it it can open up some conversations around this. There was a video where they were interviewing 20-somethings on the question, what is old? And the first young guy said 40. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez. Wow. And uh, they all said 60s and 70s. Mm. Then what they did is they introduced each one of these younger people to a, quote, older person by their definitions. And they asked each one of them to pair up and teach each other something they were good at. So uh, a dance move, a martial arts move, uh, a yoga posture, stuff like that. And then they re-interviewed the 20-somethings and they asked them again, so what is old? And now they said 70s, 80s, one young lady said 100. Wow. By literally spending two minutes with an active, engaged elder, older person, I should say, they reframed what was old in their minds. And I think that may be a big part of what Eldring could look like for us is stay the hell engaged. Yeah. Exactly. Keep learning, keep growing. You don't necessarily have to put out a shingle that says elder. Right. And retired, you know, because mm. that, that word also sometimes comes in like retired, you know. Right. It has the word tired, tired in it. <laughs> That's pretty old stuff. Yeah. yeah. I like that because I know when I think of younger people, 
even younger people that are thinking, should I listen to this podcast because it's all about elderly, aspects of what younger people want in elders. Mm. And I know that when I talk with my 20-something son and his girlfriend, their early 20s, they're very much engaged with when I'm trying new things and even this podcast, and they're so proud that I'm taking risks, but uh-huh. that I have the experience or wisdom to put into those risks. And I think that that's something that younger people, or if I was younger, I would want. I would want an elder to be also engaged in the world and from their experience telling me right. what some of their teachings and learnings. And Right, and so they're, they're not so freaked out by the prospect of getting older. That's right. Like, obviously, a lot of people, or certainly people in our generation, they're not gonna be as freaked out because they're gonna see that getting older can mean being vital and growing and inspiring and trying new things you know, at the ripe old age of 59. And you 20-somethings, what I read also was that people in their 60s have better sex than any time <laughs> in their life. And one reason for that is because they're the most comfortable with themselves. Uh-huh. And so therefore their inhibitions and they're not caught up in how things look and their performance, they're more comfortable with it so they have better sex lives. So right. that's kind of it's something to look forward to. You Interesting, yeah. yeah. I mean, for that matter, can we even apply the the term eldering to a younger person? Mm. If we're defining it as passing along wisdom and role modeling, passionate, engaged life and being inspiring, in a sense, if we redefine eldering enough, we could apply it to a younger person. Like I'm sure your son Xander's got people that look up to him. Or um, uh, the Swedish girl Greta Thunberg. Yeah, I mean, she's probably 16 years old. She's more of an elder than most of the elders around her. (laughs) And she named it, too. And she's wagging her finger at him, too. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. how dare you, she said. Mm -hmm. So how has it shown up in your life, that that conscious, like we're talking about a conscious step and initiation to take that step into eldering? Well, I, I had a little practice on it. A couple of years ago, I went on a vision quest in Death Valley for 12 days. And, and how old were you when you did it? Oh, uh, 62. That's right, 62. Right, there you go. A, yeah. 62. And uh, four of those 12 days involved a solo fast out in the desert. So it's, an, it's, it's formidable stuff. So eldering was up for me, just the issue was up. So it was one of the themes I was working on while I was out there. And one afternoon on my solo quest portion of the show, I went up onto a huge mesa in Death Valley and it's like a, you're on another planet. There's nobody around for miles and miles and miles. And I just stood at the edge of this mesa with a 500-foot drop below me and this incredible vista of these magnificently colored rocks that are out there. And I screamed out loud, I am an elder. Just screamed it out loud just to declare the thing, just to say it out loud, shout it out, literally put it out into the world. And just to see how it sounded in my head. How did, and how did it sound? Well, uh, kind of empowering, kind of bold, kind of silly. I mean, it really went against my normal tendency when I'm in the wilderness is to be quiet as a mouse. Because hmm. I don't want to draw attention to myself out there. So it was really contrary to my normal courtesy thing hmm. in being in the wilderness, just screaming out loud in somebody else's house. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Using my outdoor voice. All those animals really pissed off. Yeah, well, yeah. Who knows? There are not a lot of those around. There's not even so much as a blade of grass. Hence Death Valley. Yeah, right. 
And it was a great place to do a vision quest on Eldering. Mm. Perfect. The so perfect. That, was that your focus? Yeah. Oh, that was one of the big ones. Absolutely. That was one of the big ones right there. I had a few others, but that was top three. Once you declared it, said it out loud, did you feel different? Um, yes. There was something about saying it out loud and acknowledging that I'm of the age where I would have that conversation with myself at all, that I'm stepping into a different phase of life and admitting I'm getting older. Hmm. I mean, again, I, I don't want to underestimate how tough that is to admit that you're of an age where you'd be talking to yourself about being an elder, especially since in my head, I think of elders as old people. Right. And I don't think of myself as old. So it's a bit of a mismatch. But the number when you were younger, you're 64 now, oh. that number when you were younger was old as that shit. was the definition of it for our generation. Right. When I'm 64, yeah. will you still need me? Will you still feed me? <laughs> oh, so yeah. I come back after the four days to the last four days of the trip, which is each person came back, about a dozen of us, and essentially told the story about what happened to us out there. And I shared this story and a young woman came up to me afterwards who works in an indigenous school up in Wyoming. And she said, asked me how it felt to do that. And mentioned that in the cultures that she works with, nobody has to scream out loud that they're an elder at any point in the game, that it's assumed and you're encouraged and bred for it. You're, the community reaches out to you and declares that you're an elder. Is a rites of passage for it, right? Right, right. But I said to her, well, yeah, I guess, you know, white people, we, we, it's been a really long time, maybe if ever, that we've had a rite of passage like that um, and think of eldering as the way maybe some indigenous cultures do. And so maybe because we're new at it again, we have to scream it out loud for a while before it sinks in. Mm -hmm. And that was actually my, my answer to her is there's a way in which I'm, we're all practicing it and we don't have much of a, a template in our culture for conscious eldering. And to do it with the aspect of humility and um, owning the humility, not in a grandiose way that I have all this wisdom and I'm going to share it, but the humbleness of, I have some years of experience and I want to share aspects of the simple things, what's so important around for me, of course, appreciation and care and mm -hmm. kindness and compassion, those simple things living 56 years to me those are very wise focuses to have when i was younger not as much right that more success maybe ambition right building your empire <laughs> yeah <laughs> getting a good strong body yeah exactly yeah it was physical more when i was younger right perhaps. so you're saying that your your definition of eldering just includes perspective on what really matters things yeah. like that yeah Exactly. That you wouldn't have unless you lived a certain number of years. Yeah. And it's coming across, you know, we talked about this together. It comes, comes across in our vocation, being teachers, you know, and being speakers. And for me, like even being a counselor, of course, like even that word, right. be a counselor has right. an aspect of sharing some wisdom. And now that I'm up around 25 years of marriage, even I have this elder aspect of coupling. Mm. And so I have experience to share but yet sharing it in a way of, again, in the simple aspects of humility and what we were talking about, really learning from the failures of our experiences. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, you had experienced Yeah, there was that. a woman who came up to me uh, at a class that I had just on Sunday who was 
telling me that she was at a transition with her career and she's terrified of failure. She said, I'm just afraid I'm going to fail at it. And I noticed, and then I noticed myself noticing that there was a part of me that went into kind of an elder role uh, just in my own head around responding to her. Because I said, okay, so I just finished writing a timeline of my growth spurts in life. And from high school on, and I'm 64 now, so I noticed that failure was so central to many of those growth spurts, quote, failure. And I realized while I'm sharing with her, you know, that with her, that I felt like I was entering an elder role. There was a little voice in the back of my head saying, I noticed that this is happening. You are eldering. I'm eldering. Yeah. And I, but I, but what I was saying was, uh, because I did this timeline and I saw 45 years worth of patterns around what role failure plays in my life, I said to her, don't be so afraid of it. Hmm. It will often accompany huge growth spurts. Yeah. And uh, that to me was from the perspective of being older. Mm -hmm. How do you think it's different like when we talk about old Uncle Harry's or something, just a pontificating, <laughs> you know, when I was younger, yeah. this is, you know, what yeah, I did. That's right. Or, just I, you know, telling everybody what to do yeah. and what to think. I've and got what, 50 years experience of it. That's, that's the energy that to me is not elder. Right. That's annoying. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, that's the crotchety old guy thing. Yeah. Right. So that's important distinction, isn't it? It's yeah. like eldering isn't just something that's going to be given to you because you rack up 60 years or 70 or 80. Yeah. It's kind of something you work for or earn or something or consciously take on and and i think it's also a different take when i think of some elders who may be teaching or they're teaching something whether it's uh something ritualistic or a course or things that we teach but elderling to me also is outside of that platform it's also in day-to-day -day moments, you know, how they're interacting. Like when I think about elderly, I want to also bring that into all of my interactions with people that I, that I meet or like, like what? Well, I, I'm thinking just, just more compassion, understanding of what, what life is I'm not teaching moments to people, but bringing in my years of some acceptance of life and maybe even mm. accept them more mm -hmm. in their, in their moments or even brighten their day more as an aspect of, of sharing that that perspective of how short it is and so live a beautiful day so that's part of it too i think just talking about it elderly i want to elder me in some way of like really living my day in, in uh -huh. a beautiful way because because life is short shorter yeah and, and that, death and, is long <laughs> exactly and that realization of getting getting older is more up in our face of understanding. Yeah. It. So to utilize it as a way to really step up and be more right. alive. I guess that would be half the, the superpower of eldering, wouldn't it? Is the fact that we're closer to mortality than anybody else. Hmm. You know, the fact that we're close to it, if you're open to it, it teaches a lot about what matters, cuts out a lot of static. I mean, I just like try to remind myself regularly that I have a use by date. Hmm. You know what I'm saying? I don't know what it is, yeah. but I remember seeing a bumper sticker a couple of years ago that said, warning, dates and calendar are closer than they appear. <laughs> <laughs> and just keeping that gently, but firmly in mind is one of those things that just brings me into what really matters in this moment and this moment and this moment. You know, it's interesting too. I was thinking, especially being around my son and Emma, his girlfriend and some of their friends. I like being around younger people 
now. Mm. Um, there's a certain consciousness also that I think was different than when I was younger. And so the engagement of even conversation feels much more alive, much more connecting, much more inspiring. I like talking with younger people. Remember when we were talking with uh, O.B. Brian's uh, uh, girlfriend Cricket and how much she yes. was so engaged with you and asking you questions yes. and you felt, I remember you saying that to me like, wow, what a young person that was so so interesting to talk to. Right. And you must be coming across this across the country when you're teaching more young people going to universities and so forth. Yeah, I oddly enough though, I often find them quite shy mm. in many ways. I don't know what that's a function of entirely, but it seems there's a passivity in there that I notice a lot. I mean, I'm talking about doing the university scenes. I don't actually meet many many young people like cricket. Maybe it's because the university brings people Tamps down to down. Just, that just to listen instead of input, right? That could be. Yeah. That could be. And of course, that's a developmental age when people are embarrassed easily. Mm -hmm. So I think they pull inside their shells sometimes. But I, you know what I do see? I see these successful aging conferences now because ever since the Vital Science book came out, for some reason, I didn't write it for that audience, but I've been invited to more of these successful aging conferences around the country. Positive aging, active aging, aging to saging. <laughs> it's actually wow. based on a rabbi's work. Hmm. And uh, what I'm seeing is audiences filled with people in their 60s to 90s who are like front of the row, got their, their notepads on their laps kind of students. They're not hanging out in the back with their feet kicked up on the chair of the kid in front of them, you know? Uh -huh. And they're like, they're helping me reframe what it means to get older, to grow older, is they're engaged. They want the next thing. They're not interested in retiring and moving to Florida and playing golf. Mm -hmm. I mean, not that there's anything wrong with any of those things, but they want the next class, the next project, the next contribution. How can they plug in? How can they help the world? What's the next killer app? And that's like, wow, that's happening. And what about for you? When, when you think of your transitioning into eldering more, what is it, any idea what that looks like? You know, I think it's a lot of what we tapped on just earlier is the reminder that I'm mortal and that this life of mine will end. And, you know, maybe, who knows, 20 to 30 years? And what, just what that does, like you said, from my day-to-day -day interactions with people, that eldering is sort of a seamless flow of activities and responses to the world and to the people in it and to the critters in it. You know, it's like from the perspective of the wisdom that mortality will bring you if you're open to it. Right. How do you respond to this person in pain in front of you? How do you um, uh, talk to the people who are serving you your meal at a restaurant? How do you talk to a couple that's sitting in your counseling session who's suffering? Yeah. There's something that death is, is very wise. You know, in fact, somebody told me I should, when I was in Chicago once, that I should take a side trip up to Wilmette. Wilmette. Wilmette is where uh -huh. the Baha'i Temple is. Hmm. This beautiful, gleaming white temple on the, on the lake, at Lake Michigan. And she said, I want you to look at the quote that's carved in stone above. She named one of the gates, like the East Gate, the East Door. And I went there, and it was a quote from death. And it said, I have come as a messenger of joy unto thee. Why dost thou grieve? Hmm. And I just stood and thought about that. And I was in my late 20s when I saw that. 
And I thought, well, wow, what if that were true? What if that, how then should I live? Like they say, knowing that, if that were true, that that's a messenger of joy. And I, I'm, I'm starting to just experience that the reminder that death has a lot of lessons and benedictions and joys, because right on the other side of getting it that you're going to die, you get what what's precious to you. Right. And yeah, I just, important. if I, if you and I were to just live from that place day to day to day, just going about our business, we would spread joy. Exactly. I mean, there it is. Right. Yeah. And probably some of the elders or elderly people that really don't look at death in that way, that are really scared about death. To me, they're not elderly. Yeah. They're old. And, and so, scared. And scared. And so some people in my life, they're older that really don't see the acceptance and the spiritual aspects of life and death the beautiful juxtaposition of right. realizing it so getting the gift to live to me they're not i don't i don't look to them for wisdom right and i don't want to make light of it either uh, my experiences already with the mortality meditations <laughs> that i do uh, it's it is scary there are times when i'm woken up in the middle of the night with a bolt of panic when I have a, one of those moments of getting it that I'm actually going to die. Which one of the meditations? That you oh, do no, it's not a new thing. What I mean by right. mortality meditation is just a regular contemplation of the fact. Hmm. I don't have a, a, a very specific practice. Like not seeing your bones just decay and well, crows like eating at it. The and Buddhists vultures. have a decomposition right. meditation. <laughs> yeah. I could go there. <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, I'm just saying that there have been times right. when you get it for a moment that it's real. Scary as shit. Whoa. Or especially if you get a symptom mm, one yeah. day that you're thinking, oh, this is the big C. This is the one that's going to take me out. Right. And you go before you get the the test back, those couple of weeks, <laughs> holy crow. Yeah. It's scary to confront real death and mortality. But there are people I have met who say that they're not scared of it. Mm. And those to me are elders. I don't care what age they are. If you've made peace with that, that's like the king of the boogeyman. Yeah. Then you're halfway to enlightenment. Mm. How about you? How do you want to live so that you model elderhood? Yeah. I, I realize that I want to have keep having beautiful experiences so that I can share these experiences. Mm. That's part of it too. Not just, okay, I have 56 years and I'm going to tell all these stories all from the past. There's uh -huh. an aspect that I really want to live more stories. Mm. And I love telling stories. People know that I tell stories mm. right, on my podcast. And so there's something about gathering more meaningful stories, you know, and being able to share those simple, meaningful stories. Mm -hmm. So I think that that's, that's part of it. But is, it's about I mean, sharing the stories, yeah, not, I think not just having the experiences or keeping them in a drawer. Yeah, yeah. It's part of that part of eldering for me is to to share it. Yet at the same time, I don't want to get too caught up of it's my life and I want to experience my life and also for, for me and hearing my own story. And I think that that's something uh, I want more of because in my day-to-day -day life, I hear a lot of stories. I want to spend more time hearing my own story. Mm -hmm. So I haven't got to the cusp of like what you're talking yet of more contemplation. I haven't screamed out, I'm elder, elder yet. I got some years on you. I'm still 56. That's right. But I'm thinking about that, part, mm -hmm. that that aspect. So I haven't entered yet into our conversations in the last few days or yeah. more of where I've been contemplating right. until starting it. And I'd be inclined to just you know put out to listeners, 
It's like whatever age you are, what kind of an elder do you want to be? And define it. It's the same way that it's important to define what success looks like to you so you're not scattering your energies all over the place. But it's a lot of people that end up lost, you know, that after they work, after the kids go away and so forth, they end up lost. They don't do this contemplation of how do they want their elder years? How do they want to walk in the world in that way? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, uh, I'm of the age when I'm starting to see more of our contemporaries. Uh, I don't know, circling the drain a bit. There's a way in which the urgency toward growth isn't, for instance, when I told people that I was heading out on that vision quest in, into Death Valley, I was fascinated by the responses I got from people. They were curious as hell. Mm. It's like, I just booked out a half a dozen lunches after I got back because people wanted to hear the details. And what I read into that was that people are hungry to take risks in their lives and they're not giving themselves over to it. They want to say, did it work for you? Yeah. Was it good for you? So what? I could take that job? Right. Uh -huh. And so, I mean, I suppose in some ways I was in a sense eldering each, and they were all people my age, pretty much. They were people, my, my friends and acquaintances. Um, but there's something I'm just noticing that people are, you know, maybe partly because I didn't choose the security route that a lot of my contemporaries did when those decisions were being made after college. Uh, it was either passion or security. I didn't, I generally didn't choose security. I chose uh, writing. <laughs> <laughs> For you writers out there, you know what he's talking yeah, about. <laughs> right. And I've stuck with it all along too, but I wonder if that doesn't play into it, is that now come midlife or, or beyond, whatever part of you, you backburnered in that choice you made, say, after college, is one example, it now wants airtime. Mm. And what are you going to do about it? And you're not in the same empire building phase you might have been in when you were in your 20s, 30s, 40s. And now what? How am I going to spend my time? Uh, what matters? What do I want to leave behind? What is my teaching? What's going to be on my headstone? I can't even decide what's going to be on a bumper sticker that was ahead. <laughs> in some of your workshops, are you questioning this with people this way? Like, oh, yeah. I am in the sense that I... I'm not shy to talk about the mortality piece anymore. Hmm. In fact, I've bundled that into my w workshops on callings and passion is let's talk about this because to the degree you're here to get clarity about what direction your life should take or what your life is calling for from you, you really can't do much better than a mortality conversation. Yeah. For any age, we're talking about any age. Yeah. yeah. I mean, sometimes I tell them also the story of Toni Morrison. You've heard of her, right? The, she's a, a novelist, Nobel laureate, in fact. She used to work at Random House, and she said she sat down one day and she made a list of all the stuff she had to do in the course of a day of being Tony, work and non-work. And she said it was pages and pages and pages of stuff. At the bottom of it, she wrote to herself, what must I do or I shall die? And she came up with two items on that list be a mother to my children and write. Hmm. And I share that with people. And then I ask them, what must you do or you shall die? You know, like let's cut to the chase because the, the, the beauty of mortality and what can turn people from regular older people into elders is the wisdom in mortality. Right. So I bring that in because yeah. it's a clarifier. I bring that in all the time to couples. How I so? Go, oh, I tell them, I said, look, what you're doing right now and going back and forth or you have a hard time letting go of resentment 
or you can't find some appreciations, picture right now if your partner getting hit by a bus tomorrow. Mm. They're gone. How do you want now to be? Now stop smiling. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Thanks for that vision, Brigo. And now how do you want to be? How do you want to be right now with you knowing that that could happen tomorrow? What would you say? What would you express? Right. And I have them to really embody Whoa. that and do that. They show up a whole different exactly. way. Then, and then I say to them, well, guess what? They didn't get, they're probably not going to get hit by a bus, but they sure can. Yeah. So how do you keep that close? Right. And give that aliveness to the way that you want to express your tooth, your love, your generosity, right. your appreciation, if you know you or your partner was going to be gone. So it's a, it's a great, like you say, meditation. Yeah. And I, and I bring that in. I mean, again, I'm in the business of helping people clarify stuff. What about with uh, elderly and with writers? Do you ever think about that now that you have such experience, life experience, with, like you say, taking that risk of writing uh, all your adult life, making a living from it? Is there aspects of wanting to elder writers? Uh, hmm. Nope. <laughs> that <No>. was me. <laughs> um, it's not ringing a bell in particular. Hmm. I mean, I just run into writers and just as part of what I do with my workshops, for instance. In fact, sometimes I I ask people, how many of you have ever entertained the idea that someday you want to write a book? Easily half to two-thirds of any audience uh, raises their hand. Mm. So maybe it's true that what they say is everyone's got a book in them. Yeah. And people love write, writing in some way of just journaling and expressing themselves. And so, right. But yeah. I, I just really ask that question is one of the 20 questions I'll ask in a given workshop where the point is just uh, where are your passion showing up? So that's just a question that gets at some of that is, and that's really all I'm after is help people get reengaged with, with their own passions and their fascinations and their curiosities and their intensities and the stuff that um, puts them in flow state. Hmm. I think maybe that's what those young people saw in the quote, older people that they were interviewed with. They saw flow they saw dancers and martial arts moves and yoga postures and uh it's like wow people in their 70s can still flow mm -hmm. yeah and just like i said you know, you don't have to say a damn thing to be an elder it's it's how you live that's really the even the better teaching than what you say i think that's right so i think it's good to as we talked about distinguishing between elder and elderly <laughs> yeah yeah. What are some of your thoughts? About well, that? elderly <laughs> has a kind of pejorative attached to it. I don't mean to offend anybody, but this is what I grew up with. The elderly were the almost like the feeble old. And so partly we're having this conversation in the context of a culture that doesn't look particularly kindly the elderly. And we sideline them and we um, kind of pat them on the head in some ways. This isn't to say that a lot of older people don't have a lot of money and power, right. but I think we're, there's a lot of fear around uh, getting old, especially not even just older, but old. Yeah. And, um, and of course, you can be an elder till the last possible moment of life. But So I think our generation's especially tasked with disrupting, to use a more modern term, that uh, mindset that elderly means feeble and chunted aside and not to be taken seriously and to be shuffled off out of the workforce and out of sight, out of mind. We have to, I think the task of eldering falls to the whole generation because if we stay impassioned 
and engaged and involved and spend our money wisely mm. and and potently, we're a force to be reckoned with. You know, you can't ignore people who live out loud. Out loud with experience and start really knowing and expressing and making decisions based on good, wise decisions exactly. because of experience. And because the world needs this kind of energy from people of any age, but yeah. you know, it needs wisdom and, and eldering. Because I think a lot of younger people are doubtful in that the older and the wise people are not leading the world at all. That what we gave them is very disappointing Oh, to not them. only that, but they're squabbling in the sand lot. You know what I mean? I mean, we look at what's going on in our government at the moment. It seems like a bunch of kids out on the playground fighting with one another. Exactly. And these are supposed to be wise leaders. It's ridiculous. Exactly. And so that's why I said, you know, maybe somebody like Greta Thunberg and her, her cohorts are more elders than their elders. Hmm. You know, they're, even their great-grandparents' age. Um, yeah. Because if we're def redefining eldering as wisdom and passion and engagement— She's more than a lot of people I know who are five times her age. Yeah. I just think that's how it's beautiful. Like that's just happening also naturally. I know with uh, Rainbow, my wife, she's stepping into that crone elder role. She talked to us the other night about how she was asked to speak to younger women at a conference just about her life. Mm. And she's mentoring young women in different ways just by her own experience right. it's, it's beautiful for me to watch that naturally wow. and she is embracing that a lot of women don't embrace that aging process you know in that crone they don't want it i'm lucky that i have a person that's like excited about it yeah. so she's an inspiration for me to start accepting it's a inspiration for me to not Look upon, oof, oh, I, I don't want Getting that. older. Yeah, as opposed to like embracing it more. She's right. doing it very gracefully. Right, so that's, that seems like a lot of the power of uh, the potential of eldering is to, is to do that. So maybe the, you know, she's being asked to speak at conferences. Maybe our new motto for our generation should be, be heard now. <laughs> I like that. Um, it's a be here now, be right, heard now. Yeah, right, right, and be seen, be noticed. I mean, what? You know, there's a element of this old Dylan Thomas poem about rage, rage against the dying of the light. Um, I'm not sure entirely how I feel about going out that way, but there's something about making sure you're heard and the wisdom does stay in the equation, even during crazy times like this, when the world is just halfway off its hinges, be heard, be seen, stand up, stand out. And I love watching elder people, elderly people and younger people work in cooperation with each other in an equality aspect too of the younger people are bringing in their skills and their knowledge and their intellects and the way that the world and technology has evolved that elder people or elderly people don't have that aspect uh -huh. but they're bringing in theirs and it's a collaborative process even things with uh, activism and and environmentalism, I really see more equality mm. in that, which is really sweet bringing in the generations. Mm, absolutely, having them work together. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Sweet. So this was an interesting topic just to, just to kick back, because like right. you said, we're, we're, we're not coming from experts in years and years. We're, like you said, on the cusp. Right, and I would, I would encourage people to have these conversations with friends. 
you know, go out and grab a cup of something and this is as good a topic of conversation as any and it's real. Yeah. And even young people to actually go to older people, this is what I want in you. Mm. This is what I would love in an elder or a mentor. Yeah. I'm letting you know this is what I'm looking for. I didn't have that when I was younger. I wish I did. I wish I spoke up and said, this is actually what I want from you. You know, not uh, the bullshit that you're giving me. Uh-huh, right. Yeah. So I used to go to Death Cafe. You ever mm. remember Death Cafe? Yeah, I've never been to one. started in London, I don't know, 10 years ago or something, and now they're all over the world. And there was one here in, in Asheville. And it's just exactly what it sounds like. People getting together at a cafe on a Sunday afternoon, breaking up into tables of three or four, and just talking about their experience of mortality. People of all ages and all relationships with mortality. Huh. Maybe some somebody just lost a spouse, or somebody just lost a dog, or somebody just um, got fired. You know, there's lots of ways of dying. Yeah. Um, and it was fascinating. And people are like, what? That's like hanging out in cemeteries. Why would you do that? Mm. But it's a very juicy well, we conversation. Why. We like hanging out in cemeteries. Yeah. It's nice and quiet. It's <laughs> quiet. And there's nobody else there. <laughs> yeah. The prettiest parks in town. Yeah. yeah. And it all, like we always talked about, it always gives us this reminder. Right. Ooh, you know, everybody around us was walking once like we were. Exactly. We're not going to be walking around and that's right yeah it's a whole game ends and so what do you want to do with your precious nick of time and i love that we we talk about the subject often about in cemeteries yeah (laughs) (laughs) about death and the preciousness of life and that also what makes our friendship i think very vibrant and Mm. and present because we know it can end any moment and so our interactions i think are strong with passion and kindness and love right. and yeah. yeah so i really so, appreciate that yeah i do too i uh right before i went to chicago on that trip where i saw that quote on the bahai temple part of the reason that that affected me so much is that the week before that had happened uh, at the time i was a reporter at the cincinnati paper and at i did a series of profiles on people who were told they have 6 months to live now in terms of what helps to create an elder, what kinds of experiences or mindsets. These were people, I'd say 40s to 70s, maybe uh, eight people that I interviewed. And every one of them was shattered, of course, by this news. They were told by a doctor, you have six months to live. And I wanted to know what that experience was like and what those folks could teach the rest of us about how to live better, but without getting a diagnosis or something or hit by a bus. And everybody talked about being just uh, flattened by the experience initially, but every one of them talked about growing and the ways that they were liberated by that experience and in really dramatic ways. And there was one lady who said that her cancer diagnosis was the best thing that ever happened to her. And I was 27 at the time. That Mm. just seemed inconceivable to me. (laughs) Of all the things that could happen to somebody in the course of a life, cancer Mm -hmm. could be the best? And she said, I am no longer trapped by life. My passions and my loves are finally released. And she said, I'm, I'm free to, to speak my mind and to follow my heart. And, and then she said, to rearrange my priorities mm-hmm. so that they are no longer an insult to the, bre- the brevity and the preciousness of life. Ooh, I love that. Wow. Isn't that powerful? And that to me is... That would be a seminal event in the creation of an elder type Mm. to get that kind of wisdom, to be able to 
rest from death, such beautiful wisdom. That to me is like some of those people entered elderhood even in their 40s. Right. Wow. With that kind of wisdom coming at them. Isn't that amazing? Beautiful story. So you can see why the trip up to Chicago was extra special, important when I saw that. I've come as a messenger of joy unto thee. That's essentially what the lady was saying. Mm -hmm. Sweet. Yeah, yeah, thanks, man. Yeah, this thank you. Fun, yeah. Good topic. Mm -hmm. So if you need me, I can help you get off the chairs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, maybe I will take you up on yeah, that. Okay. Well, uh, we got a cane around the corner and I can help you and I'll, I'll, I'll mush up the cottage cheese for you. <laughs> Great. Oh, I got to end with a story then. Um, my ex-wife and I, Robin, um, were training a dog to become a therapy dog to go into nursing homes. And on our first, this was a white shepherd, on our first trip in, the dog immediately went for the tennis balls that the old people put on the bottoms of their walkers to help them <laughs> glide on linoleum. And she went because we brought up with tennis balls. And the volunteer lady looks at this and goes, well, this is not going to work at all. <laughs> oh, nice. So with that. Yeah, with that. <laughs> I'll make sure that you have a, a, a really spicy walker. I'm going to buy go. you your own spicy yeah, walker. Yeah, there you right? go. Yeah. Right. Maybe a little mirror ball attached to it. And here's the thing, too. It's okay to laugh about this. Yeah. I know it's 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 interesting to laugh about it, and it's funny because you are vibrant and healthy as can be, mm. you know. But we also know that that may not continue exactly. all the way. Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, thanks for the conversation, man. Yeah, it was sweet. All right, now we're gonna take a nice long hike <laughs> for an elder. Oh, I was thinking of a nap. <laughs> Relationships. Let's talk about it is a production of HeartShare Counseling and Consulting, PC, of Asheville, North Carolina. For more on licensed counselor Prepo Teplitsky, visit heartsharecounseling.com. Theme music by Adi the Monk. This content is intended for informational purposes only, is not a substitute for professional counseling and psychotherapy, medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment, and does not constitute medical or other professional advice. Relationships, Let's Talk About It is produced by Auxbus. You can create your own professional podcast today faster and easier. Try it for free at auxbus.com. That's A-U-X-B-U-S dot com. Auxbus. Auxbus.